Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Plant Powered People podcast. I'm Michelle Kane, founder of World of Vegan. And I'm Tony Okamoto, founder of Plant Based on a Budget and Food Sharing Vegan. On this show, we talk with plant-powered people from all around the world about various aspects of plant-based living to empower you, dear listeners, to learn, explore, and evolve in a kind, sustainable, and healthy direction, all while eating the most delicious food and having a ton of fun. Today, we are bringing on Desiree Nielsen, a registered dietitian and author of the forthcoming plant-based cookbook, Plant Magic. She runs a nutrition consulting practice with a focus on gut health and plant-centered diets in Vancouver, Canada, and is the author of multiple best-selling books. Desiree gives talks across North America, sharing her irreverent, lighthearted approach to eating well, and her work has been featured in USA Today, Parade Magazine, Bon Appetit, and People Magazine. She also hosts a podcast called the All Sorts Podcast, which is an evidence informed wellness podcast. It's really great. And she's constantly dishing out gut health and nutrition tips over on Instagram. She's a really fun and personable videos there. You should definitely check her out. But for now, we're so excited to introduce you to her and bring her on the show today. Before we jump in, we want to give a big thank you to our sponsors of this episode, Melody Foods and Force of Nature. We love bees. You know this if you listen to the pod. So we're literally buzzing about Melody, which is the world's first plant-based honey. It's just like honey from bees, but it's better for people, better for pollinators, and better for our planet. And I'm not kidding you. It tastes just like honey from bees. I met the Melody team when they debuted at the Natural Products Expo, where they were handing out these little mini bear-shaped honey containers that were filled with their plant-based honey. And I tried it and I was absolutely floored. I met Darko, who's the co-founder, and he was just gushing with passion for saving the bees. He has so much experience in the honey industry and just felt passionate about sort of shifting where we're moving into the future in a way that helps bees in our planet. And at the expo, I continued to walk through the floor and give out these little bottles of Melody's plant-based honey to all the other company founders that I came across that are still using honey in their products. I just, I adore it. I'm so excited that they're sponsoring the podcast. Their honey can be used in a one-to-one replacement for traditional honey. You can stir it into tea, drizzle it on apples, infuse it into desserts, whisk it into sauces and marinades, and just go wild. You can try Melody's Honey at select restaurants in the United States or order some for yourself, which I highly recommend, at melodyfoods.com. It's spelled M-E-L-L-O-D-Y foods.com. And you can use our code PLANTPOWERED to get 15% off your order at melodyfoods.com. We'd also like to thank Live On Labs, a company that has designed an effective way to improve the nutrient absorption of vitamins and nutrients. Many people are really surprised to learn that when they take vitamins, their body only absorbs a percentage of what they consume, which can feel almost wasteful. And using patented technology, Live On Labs wraps vitamins in a phospholipid sphere that protects the vitamin through the digestive system and transports it to the bloodstream for absorption in the cells. They have vitamin C, a B vitamin complex, magnesium, and more. And all of their supplements are vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO, and made without any sugars or artificial flavors. 
When I'm feeling under the weather, I take the vitamin C and so does my husband. It's super easy to use. Just pour it in up to three ounces of water and gulp it in one sip, just like a shot. I really appreciate, especially that it doesn't have a strong, funky taste and it's really easy to take. If you'd like to check them out and read more about their innovative approach to supplementation, check them out at liveonlabs.com or get a free sample pack in the link in our show notes. Hi, Desiree. Welcome to the Plant Powered People podcast. Thank you so much. I am very excited to chat with you. Michelle and I have been following your work on Instagram. I had the pleasure of being on your podcast and I love your approach to healthy eating and wellness and being mindful and taking a more holistic approach to how we feel inside. So I'd love, love, love to dive right into that and ask you, were you always interested in healthier eating? You know, I wasn't. I was always interested in food. And growing up, I'm half Portuguese and I very much culturally grew up in my in my avô, as we call uh, a grandmother, like in my avô's house. And food was the center of life. They had a massive vegetable garden. So, you know, throughout the summer, like we were always in the garden picking something or gardening, and then that would become dinner that night. And for my grandmother, like her life revolved around food and therefore like my life as a child. And so we always were eating, talking about food, talking about eating, and really just embraced eating as like a joyful part of life. And so it wasn't until I was, you know, much older in my teens, actually, that I even for one second thought of the foods you eat being having any sort of impact on your health. Like when I was younger, like I I ate vegetables and I ate chips and ice cream sort of on equal footing, which I'm so grateful. Like looking back, I'm so grateful for that start in life. Because when I was a teenager, you know, I had a cousin come live with us for a little while who was going to college and she had type one diabetes. And so I was noticing, I was like, why do you, you know, back then, like, why do you drink skim milk? I'm like, why do you not eat this? And why do you eat this? And so she would talk to me about, well, oh, I have diabetes and, you know, like I'm trying to watch my blood sugars and my health. And it was like, what? Like the way that we eat could impact our health in any sort of way. And that, you know, and then a couple of years later becoming vegetarian, because at first I was ovo-lacto-vegetarian, were really the two things that sort of like cracked me open to this idea that we could eat in a way that not only took care of our health, but that made us feel really good. And when did you become vegetarian? So I was 16 and I did it, I would love to say for, you know, altruistic reasons. But in all honesty, I had a big crush on a guy in my band and he was vegetarian. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm vegetarian too. And then quickly scrambled to become vegetarian. Um, You know, luckily it stuck because that was really the origin and the initiation for me to think about like, okay, so now that I've got this idea that like my food choices could impact how I feel and my health, like how do my food choices impact animals? How do they impact the planet? And like, that's what led to me being like fully vegan and plant-based today. And when you were making these connections of how food impacted your 
physical wellness and how your food choices impacted the world on a larger scale. Is this about the time you also decided to go to school and study nutrition? You know, it is. I, as a teenager, you know, oh my gosh, when you were a teenager and just had like hours to think about things and like, you know, wander the aisles of bookstores. I, one of my favorite things to do was to go to the bookstore and just look at all the cookbooks and look at all the health books. And when I did that, I discovered the work of Dr. Andrew Weil, who I feel like a lot of people don't know. He's kind of like out of the game now, but he looks like wellness Santa Claus. And <laughs> in the late 90s, he was this revolutionary figure because he talked not only about how food could impact our health outcomes, because I think for anyone listening today, they would be like, well, of course, nutrition impacts like your risk of heart disease or, you know, diabetes. But like in the 90s, there wasn't a lot of talk about nutrition impacting like chronic disease. And so not only did he sort of like introduce me to this idea that food could help you heal, but also that it was a really sort of holistic process. You know, he talked about meditation and mindfulness and stress reduction. And uh, so I actually wanted to study nutrition in order to become a physician. Like when I was a teenager, I didn't even know that dietitians existed. I didn't know what they did, but I started out in university in nutrition because I knew that physicians don't get a lot of nutrition training in their uh, medical school. And so I was like, well, I need to get this nutrition background so that when I become a doctor, I have this sort of like experience to help me do what I thought of, you know, as medicine, which is like what Dr. Wilde does, talking about vitamin C and eating cruciferous veggies. And so once I was at university, then because I was in the nutrition faculty, they're like, oh, you know, the dietetics program is opening up. I was like, what's dietetics? And I realized that so many of the things I thought I would do as a physician, which is actually rare to do as a physician, far less rare today, but like almost unheard of, you know, in the early 2000s. I was like, oh, I guess that's what a dietitian does. So I went into the program and I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to try this dietitian thing for like five years. And if I don't like it, I can take my MCAT and find some medical school to like let me in, even if I have to beg and plead, but I really never looked back. And how did you decide which nutrition program to go into? You were already a vegetarian. Was that something that you were looking for or you were just looking for a, a good school? I was, you know, I was definitely just looking at like, what is the closest school to me? And I was a little bit nervous. So I went to the University of British Columbia, which is here in Vancouver. And I grew up on Vancouver Island. And it's actually the only place you can take at that time, it was the only place that you could take both nutrition or enter into medical school in my province. And uh, so I was actually really nervous about going into nutrition because I had this idea that like, well, I was a weirdo. Like I was already a vegetarian. I was someone who wandered the health food store aisles, you know, most nights and was very into herbal medicine and, you know, holistic well-being. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to fit in <laughs> at all. Um, and happily, I met a lot of people who had the same views as I did. I mean, that early on, 
I still had views that were considered very left of center uh, in the nutrition and dietetics community. And even when I first became a dietitian, all of my friends said, well, like, you're the weird dietitian. Like, if we have people who are, like, vegetarian or vegan, or if they have some sort of condition that we don't really know what to do with, like food intolerances, for example, or, like, gut stuff, they would refer people to me. I love that you had that path. It's interesting. I took a nutrition class in college and I remember it was like very invalidating of the plant-based lifestyle in general. I was one of two vegans in the class and actually my friend who's vegan ended up becoming a registered dietitian and is now a plant-based registered dietitian, but probably incentivized by the fact that our teacher had had one mindset and it was very old school and it was um, not necessarily pro-plants or even the even like pro this is possible and things have evolved so much. But when you were in that stage and you were learning about nutrition in an academic setting, were you ever surprised by what like what you were learning? What were the biggest things that you faced and obstacles you faced in that path? You know, I think the biggest obstacles were one that, you know, vegetarian, less so vegetarian, but definitely vegan diets at that point were sort of taught to me as being a quote unquote restrictive diet. That if you were plant-based, you were setting yourself up for all of these deficiencies. There was heavy emphasis on dairy because, you know, we talked about the four food groups, right? So we had your produce, we had your dairy, we had your grains, we had your meat and alternatives. At least the and alternatives were in there. But, you know, dairy was this big push that this is what you needed to get your calcium in. And so, you know, I really had to think about well, where are these nutrients coming? Like, is there is there something wrong with the way that I'm approaching nutrition? Are we really at risk for deficiencies? Like, wh- why do we have a dairy group? Like, what's the point of the dairy group? And it became so immediately obvious that a dairy group was really about calcium, which makes no sense that we have this whole food group to provide mm-hmm. one nutrient when calcium can be cons- obtained from so many other foods. So that was sort of the first thing This I very incorrect idea that, you know, vegan diets were restrictive at all and that you really sort of needed dairy in order to provide calcium, in order to protect your bones. So that was one sort of main concern for me. The second was that we learned a lot about nutrients. We learned about how nutrients are involved in metabolic pathways. We learned about chronic disease and therapeutic nutrition for chronic disease in a really sort of like broad survey style course. And it surprised me how little we talked about the actual power of dietary change to create change in someone's health. And I know that seems like it doesn't make sense because we're like, well, if you have diabetes, you go to a dietitian and she will teach you how to manage your blood sugars using nutrition. There was so little conversation. What if you're truly unwell? Like, what are the functional properties of foods to help you be well? Like, how do we not just manage blood sugars or manage cholesterol, but how do we use food and nutrition to make someone feel really well? Or if they have something going on that we don't really have a lot of data to support. And back in the day, that was irritable bowel syndrome for me. That's kind of why I went into gut health is because there were so many people coming to me saying, 
we have these problems. We've been to the gastroenterologist. We've been to all these specialists. No one can tell me how to make myself better. And so I was so passionate about the power of food to really create positive change for people that I sort of just like dove headfirst into that area. It's interesting that in your courses that veganism, eating vegetarian was made to sound like it was going to be restrictive because that's something I know I personally felt prior to being vegetarian and then vegan. I thought, okay, I'm going to just never eat these foods I love again. And that's going to be fine because I love animals and this is the right thing to do. And it turned out to be the total opposite for me. I was exposed to so many new types of flavors and cuisines that I had never known existed and a lot of different types of plants. My palate was so limited prior to eating plant-based and I didn't even know it. And I heard you describe your nutrition philosophy as positive additive nutrition. What exactly does that mean? That means that we focus on what to eat more of. And I agree with you, Tony. Like I feel so much abundance eating this way that I can't even imagine a time where I thought, oh, perhaps this is restrictive. Perhaps this isn't the best choice for our health. Because one of the things that I think when you look at sort of the standard North American diet, it makes sense to think of, oh, well, if meat is the anchor for every single plate and you have this very Eurocentric approach to nutrition where it's like meat, starch, veg, then you're like, wow, that's a huge gaping hole in the plate. And so I think many people with that sort of like Eurocentric North American upbringing where they're like, well, I don't know what goes like in that portion of the plate. Whereas, you know, across the globe, meat is so often not the anchor. There are so many cuisines, whether it's the, the dolls and curries of, you know, the Indian subcontinent, you know, where a huge variety of legumes and grains and, you know, seeds and vegetables are consumed. And I think one of the most fun things about adopting more plant-based lifestyle is that it does sort of open you up to this sense of like, adventure and exploration. It's like, what's new and delicious? And like, how do I use those lentils that maybe haven't been a staple for me until now? Because there are so many incredible options. And one of the things that I've noticed after like well over a decade in nutrition, I don't know how it's been that long, but somehow it has, is that many people think of healthy eating and nutrition as being a running list of no's. You know, don't eat sugar, lower your salt, don't eat this, you know, watch your calories. When that kind of thinking doesn't actually tell people, well, what do I eat? And it also leaves out a very important part of human nutrition is that food is a joy. It is supposed to be pleasurable, you know, there particularly these days, there aren't many other aspects of our life where we have this opportunity to like make ourselves happy and make ourselves feel good like three times a day. And food has that opportunity for us. So I would prefer for people to think, okay, so what do I need to eat more of? Like what 
when we hear these messages of more, our brain is like, yeah, I'm on board. But if we're only thinking like, oh, well, I guess I shouldn't have like too many Cokes, then like instantly your brain is like, "Um, no, I want Coke all the time. I want 75 Cokes now that you've told me I can't have them. Like that kind of like deprivation and restrictive mindset that we've been living with for decades isn't helping us. I actually am experiencing this right now as we record this. I just got back from traveling for about eight weeks, almost every week by plane somewhere for work, uh, doing book promotion and and uh, and some events. And I'm coming home. I'm home for a few months and I'm trying to rebuild these healthy habits. And I've just eaten a lot of food that I wouldn't usually eat at home. And I'm retraining my brain. I didn't feel bad about how I ate while I was gone, but I know that I want to keep more fresh food, more diversity of plants in my diet while I'm at home and have those options readily available. And what I'm trying to do is not think, oh, well, I can't go to a Mexican restaurant and eat like five enchiladas right now. Uh, But instead think I can eat as many plants as I want at any time. And so I've been keeping my counter filled with different fruits. I've been making these really big uh, pasta dishes packed with veggies. And it's such a pleasurable experience to try all of these really tasty, flavorful plants. And I feel like what you're saying about mindset is so accurate. I also think this is why Dr. Greger's Daily Dozen works so well for people. It's this concept of crowding out similarly, where like there's these things that you want to be eating that we know are helpful. And Tony and I created a meal plan for around the Daily Dozen concept a few years ago. And when we were eating that way, we could barely fit it all in. It's like, you have to eat this many legumes and fruits and nuts and seeds and stuff. And so when we were making these delicious smoothies and these meals that were packed with all this goodness, there literally wasn't room for a cupcake on top of it in our (laughs) bellies. You don't even miss it. You don't even have a space or, or time to like be like, oh, but I want this instead. Not that I wouldn't eat that on top of it, but um, but the idea of crowding out, I remember reading about that when I very first went vegan and it's such a helpful mindset shift so that you don't feel... Nothing is sustainable if you feel like you're constantly giving things up or not having to say no to yourself again and again and again every day. That will never work long-term. Like You have to be shifting it to all the things that you're saying yes to. Exactly. And I think one of the things that's so powerful for people is to leave behind the notion of no. Now, if we're going, you know, full, you know, full bore into veganism and we're like, I'm not going to eat animal products, that's one thing. Maybe that is one no, but even I don't see that as a no. I see that as a swap. If you want pizza, oh, we can make that from plants. You know, if you want a burger, we can make, we can make, I, we can do it all from plants. So in my mind, eating, you know, a plant-based diet is really about swaps. It's not about no. And the other thing that I think is really important for people to hear is that we sort of get swept up in this guilt, anxiety, hope cycle 
where we eat in a way that perhaps doesn't resonate or align with how we want to be in this world or it doesn't feel good in our body. And we tend to feel a lot of guilt and shame around that. And society absolutely piles those messages on. Like I grew up as a kid where like all the women's magazines, the front headlines were all about diet and like how to lose 10 pounds for Labor Day, like all these horrendous, horrendous things. So like I grew up in this soup of diet culture. And when we're in that mindset, we that guilt and anxiety sort of like drives us headlong. That's when we're like Googling until 11 p.m. Like what's the best way out of this? Like how am I going to feel better or how am I going to lose weight? And we make these strict, absolute plans where, you know, like, oh, I'm never eating sugar again. I'm sorry. If we're lucky, life is long. You're telling me that I need to get through the next 60 years without an ice cream cone? It's not going to happen. And so when we focus on additive nutrition, we start to like soften into this place of my body is a remarkable vessel. Like literally as I am talking right now, it's cleaning up the mess of maybe, you know, the pollution from the major street I live on or, you know, if I had, you know, candy last night. Your body is in a constant state of growth and repair. And all it requires from you is that you feed it the basic building blocks to do its job. So if I am consuming protein to support my nervous system, if I am consuming iron from lentils or tofu to carry oxygen through my body, if I'm consuming an abundance of colorful plant foods, because those antioxidants that are contained in the plant pigments help support that natural cleanup cycle, my body is resilient enough for me to have a vegan ice cream on Saturday night. My body is resilient enough for me to choose nachos once in a while. It's not about what we don't eat. It's about what we do eat. Our, bo- our health and our body is not made of what our diet is free from. It is made of the nutrients and the foods that we choose to fuel our body with. I actually really loved that in your forthcoming book, Plant Magic. I was reading the section on your approach to balance and you talked about how you were a big potato chip lover. And (laughs) I too am a big fan of fried potatoes. And usually when I'm going out to a restaurant, I like to get a big salad but also a side of whatever is the fried mesh of the fried potato, whether that be some French fries or tater tots or whatever it is. I want to try that. Uh, And so I appreciated that because I feel like for me, I feel like I want to love food. I want to enjoy it. And I do care about my body, but I also care about the happiness that food brings me. And I believe there can be a balance. There absolutely can be. And the unexpected benefit of releasing, and it is not easy. Like it took me, it really took me years to get over this like chip hang up, you know, where I would want chips and eat a whole giant bag and feel bad about it. Like it took me years to get over that. And I had to really work on giving myself the permission to say, you know, just like I did when I was a kid, like 
I ate a big salad. I was a seven-year-old eating salads. And then also after dinner, eating chips and not thinking about what either one of those foods meant. And so once I got back to that place as an adult, it felt so liberating because I could choose food in accordance with taste. Like, what do I love? I learned that many of the quote unquote junk foods that I used to, you know, have no control in the face of, I actually don't like the taste of them. You know, I was like, I was eating this because I was driven towards it by compulsion because I thought it was a quote unquote bad food. And I don't actually like it that much. But then also it freed me to select foods in accordance with how they made me feel. And when we're seeking balance, tuning into how we actually feel in our body is the greatest teacher because you start to learn, okay, so what is the balance of, you know, maybe the Diet Coke or the potato chips in my life that still keeps me feeling energized? And it's definitely not eating those three days, you know, three meals a day for me when I was, you know, if I was 22, that's a big, you know, 22-year-old bodies are incredible. They mop up all sorts of messes, but I'm over 40 now and my body is like, if it's not happy with me, it tells me. So I know what that balance of whole foods is that keeps me feeling really great so that I am free to enjoy the other foods that I like while still feeling good. Can you talk about that balance of plant-based whole foods? Like why plant-based nutrition in general? Why did you choose this path? Why should people consider it? There are a lot of people who listen to our podcast who are new to plant-based eating and, and are still figuring out what's best for them. And I would love for you to share your passion for this lifestyle. When I'm talking to folks who are curious about plant-based eating, particularly now, there are so many mixed messages online. And unfortunately, they don't just come from influencers. They come from physicians. They come from dietitians. So I understand how confusing things can be when you're like, what is the best style of eating for me? But Without a doubt, the research strongly supports plant-centered diets. So there are many different styles of eating. One of the most famous uh, and also one of the best researched is, of course, the Mediterranean style of eating, which doesn't mean eating like you're on vacation in Italy. It is really sort of, you know, the whole Mediterranean region, which also includes the North African countries, that style of eating. And what that style of eating is, is predominantly plants. Like if you were to build a pyramid, only the tippy tippy top of it would contain animal products. So there is a lot of variety in plant-focused or plant-centered diets. And we know that eating this way is associated with decreased overall mortality, but also decreased risk of almost every major chronic disease, from heart disease to type 2 diabetes to certain forms of cancer. And the reason for that is that plant foods are incredibly nutrient-dense. We talk about that term a lot, but what does that actually mean? That means bite for bite or calorie for calorie, plants pack in a ton of vitamins, minerals, 
and phytochemicals, so the naturally occurring plant chemicals that have antioxidant and anti-inflammatory activity in the body. So when we go back to talking about how our body is always in this state of growth and repair, phytochemicals really support that cleanup crew in our body and really help it to just clean up the daily mess of like living and breathing and stressing as we do. We also have a lot of very specific research on certain aspects of plant-based food. So only plants have fiber. So whether it is kale or an almond or some spelt berries, all plants have fiber. And dietary fiber, while technically it's not a nutrient because we don't absorb it into our system and use it in some sort of cellular metabolic process, it stays in the gut. But in doing so, it has a remarkable impact on our overall health and wellness through the gut microbiome. So all those bacteria living in like the darkest reaches of your colon can ferment many of these types of fiber. And in doing so, they create a lot of these little like messenger chemicals that interact with like your gut cells directly. They interact with your immune system. They interact with your nervous system. And we know that people who consume more fiber have better health outcomes in many different aspects of life. You know, inflammation is decreased. Risk of things like colorectal cancer are decreased, but also risk of the diseases such as heart heart disease, diabetes. Fiber does an incredible amount of things in the body. Only plants have fiber. We also know that plants contain a particular group of phytochemicals called flavonoids. And flavonoids are very well researched. These are found in green tea and in cocoa and in berries uh, and in leafy green vegetables. And these flavonoids have a lot of different activities on the body. Everything from, you know, helping to grow the gut microbiome, they appear to have an almost prebiotic-like effect, but they also are typically very strongly anti-inflammatory and are also associated with helping the body to heal. Can we put you in all (laughs) fifth grade classrooms on the planet? Because I feel like the way that you describe this, the way that you educate and you speak about these topics just makes it so absorbable, so easy to understand. Like there's, it seems so simple the way that you put it. I'm curious, are you seeing the, um, the way that this is embraced in the nutrition community, is that shifting a lot from your early nutrition days? Like there's so many, so much research going on and we hear about it all the time in our little plant-based bubble, but what's happening in the more general nutrition field? You know, there is the, I never thought we would get to this place where plant-based eating is not just accepted, but it's wholeheartedly embraced and promoted by health professionals. Like it's like the most exciting time to be in plant-based nutrition ever. Mm -hmm. You know, a couple of years ago, I'm here in Canada and our food guide. So our national dietary recommendations made a huge shift. And it was also worth noting 
that this was the first time that they did not allow agricultural or industrial lobbies into the consultation process for our food guide. And the net result of that was that Health Canada outright told all Canadians that we need to consume more plants in general, but in particular plant-based proteins. Because of course, you know, we'd love to rag on the food guide, but when you look at most, you know, at least half of it back in the day, it was still like fruits and vegetables and whole grains. Like there was still a promotion of plant-based foods. But the reason why the plant-based protein recommendation is so transformational, transformational is that that means we need to start thinking about where we get our protein from and this endorsement that yes, consuming tempeh and tofu and legumes not only is adequate to meet those protein needs of our population, but it's optimal. Because while I don't like to talk about, you know, what we should consume less of as a rule, when we talk about that crowding out piece, the more we consume, in particular plant-based proteins, the less we are consuming saturated fats, which as much as you know, many of the wellness girlies on the internet right now (laughs) like to say, well, saturated fat is like really important for you. You know, you need to be consuming lots of it. That is not in line with the current evidence. We know that when we consume more saturated fat, our risk of heart disease goes up. I love that your approach to nutrition is very evidence-based. I mean, that really should be all nutrition, <laughs> a professional, hopefully, but but you really do dig into the deep, deep research and kind of piece it all together in, in your brain, which is incredible. For, for those of us who don't have that extent of knowledge and research, there's so much conflicting nutrition information, as you mentioned earlier, on social media. Is oil good or bad? Is salt okay or not okay? Like all these different diets. What do you recommend to us? How how do we decipher what's best for us? How do we um, take the information that we're seeing and decide whether it's credible or not? Yeah. You know, it's such a difficult thing to do, particularly because as I said, it's not just people without credentials. There's a lot of people with credentials I mean, there's like a shirtless overtan doc telling people to eat nothing but meat. He did start to introduce fruit because I'm pretty sure he must have gotten scurvy eating that way. So, you know, the biggest thing is if you are looking at someone's information and it alarms you at all, if they're leading with, here's what you're doing wrong, I can almost guarantee you that that information is not aligned with the evidence. The biggest red flag is when someone calls any one food or nutrient toxic, harmful, or inflammatory. Because the other thing we see in the research is that no one food is going to make or break your health what we see is that patterns of eating, overall patterns of eating, are what really drive the needle in terms of long-term health. So if someone is saying, you know, oat milk is inflammatory or kale will destroy your thyroid, immediately that's a red flag, like unfollow, 
try and rewind your brain and forget that you ever heard that. The next sort of layer of that is if anyone tells you any whole food is harmful, that's an immediate no. Without a doubt, in North America, we are experiencing unprecedented levels of chronic disease, and so many people are feeling so unwell. We didn't get here because we're eating tomatoes. We got here because we're not eating tomatoes. We got here because overwhelmingly the way that we eat is filled with hyper-processed foods for many of that, that maybe because we don't have the time or money to cook for whole foods more often, you know, that there is a piece of that that we have to acknowledge, that it is a real privilege to be able to choose foods um, for our health, but also for our taste buds, and then to have the time to cook them. So that being, you know, that aside, anyone who demonizes a single food, anyone who tells you that, you know, one food will be harmful and anyone that tells you that any plant food is bad for you, immediately they are out of line with the evidence. And that's all you really need to know. But trust your gut. We, when we close our eyes, we know what it means to be healthy. And so it's curious to hear, oh, wow, I eat all the meat and cheese and eggs I want, and this is the best path to health. But I think all of us, regardless of our nutrition background, we know that there's something not quite right with that. I'm really glad you shared that. I, I think if in the human brain, a lot of times it wants to attach to a rule. So even if someone's sharing information about some specific ingredient being maybe harmful in a certain aspect... I'm going to give a shout to my mom who listens to this podcast. Hi, mom. <laughs> she'll like, I'll be like, listen to this awesome podcast from this doctor. And she'll listen. She'll be like, I can never touch coconut oil again. And so I'm like, right. I, I know, I know. We don't want to make that like the heart of the diet. But like, she's like, nope, there's coconut in this ice cream. It's off my plate. And so to to bring it back to balance and to hear that message like reaffirmed by nutrition experts is really helpful, I think, in trying to retrain our brain. Because sometimes you really, it just jumps there. Our brain just jumps to like, okay, this is the rule. This is the rule. This is the rule. Now it's easy to follow. I think for me uh, on this constant lifelong journey to feeling well, I have found that going at a pace that is comfortable and gradual and will set me up for long-term success is better than trying something all or nothing. And I do think that there are foods that are better for my body. Like I should not be only eating one type of food when I know a diversity of plants is going to make my gut feel better and make me perform better. And I've experienced it firsthand with athleticism and with my sleep and with my movement, it, it all goes hand in, in hand. Uh, but I, I think that what I've experienced and have seen in my audience is that when people decide something overnight and want to make a change to how they've been eating for their whole entire lives, it might not end up successful. And they may end up saying, well, I tried it, didn't work for me. And that's not good. So 
also showing yourself grace and realizing this is a long haul instead of something that's short term is has been beneficial for me for sure. And Tony, that is also the philosophy by which I lead like live my own life. Like I I think like many young women had, you know, a lot of incorrect ideas about food and my body. And I had a lot of experience with like restricted eating styles and dieting when I was younger. And something that was so important for me, uh, both as a dietitian, but also just like as a human, was that when I adopted a plant-based diet, Similarly, I did it at a rate that was right for me. I didn't want to feel like I was telling myself no. And the path for me to get from there to here was about embracing like the joy of cooking and the joy of eating. Like when I got to the point where I knew how to make things like a cashew Alfredo, because honestly, like cream sauces are my favorite thing. (laughs) Like anything creamy or cheesy is 100% my bag. And so, you know, I had to find the foods and the recipes that I was so excited to eat, that I was like happy eating. And we typically come, you know, at nutrition and at making dietary change from like the opposite perspective. And so I really want to share with people that like seek the joy. If you are wanting to be plant-based for your health or if you're wanting to go vegan for the animals, seek the joy in this lifestyle. And that means there is room for nachos. That it means like cashew alfredo is, if that's what you need three meals a week to like make it happen, do it. Um, and for those people who do like structures, I understand we're used to a lot of structure and I'm okay with soft structures. If we can hold soft structures in our life without getting too rigid, like, oh, well, I didn't do this yesterday. So blah, I'm giving up. But if we can have soft structures, like, oh, I try and make 75% of what I eat whole plant foods. And then that gives me room for sweets. It gives me room for a little bit of fried stuff. Absolutely gives you room for some salt. Then that's great. The other thing that I do, not quite like Dr. Krieger's Daily Dozen, I have something called the Daily Three. And it's very much focused on the types of foods that I feel that we don't consume enough of in North America but also foods that I feel really drive the needle in your health, but also in how you feel. And those are dark green leafy vegetables, legumes, and omega-3 rich seeds. On a plant, everybody needs omega-3s, but on a plant-based diet, we're not consuming fish. And so consuming two to three tablespoons of hemp, chia, or flax daily are going to give you all the omega-3s you need in the day. They're also really rich in minerals, which we need more of on a plant-based diet. Legumes, everything from lentils to mung beans to chickpeas, working your way up very slowly because you've got to build that fiber muscle starting from a quarter a cup up to three quarters of a cup daily. The fiber and the fermentable carbohydrates in legumes will dramatically change your gut for the better and then trying to consume two cups of dark green leafy veggies every day. And that's everything from arugula and watercress to bok choy and gailan to uh, kale and broccoli because they are so incredibly nutrient-dense. They're packed with antioxidants and really important sulfur-based 
phytochemicals that help to support a healthy cell cycle. Those three things, in terms of a positive, soft structure, um, really do move the needle for folks. You just dropped a bunch of really good information. But what does that look like in terms of lunch and dinners for your family? There are a lot of people who are new to cooking, and we like to offer some practical application to this great information that you're sharing. Yeah. So the amazing thing about it being just three items is that it can be really, really simple. So if you are pretty new to cooking and you're like, oh, I don't really know what to do with legumes, for example, you can go out and buy a big bag of roasted chickpeas and you can consume a quarter cup of roasted chickpeas as an afternoon snack. Or you can throw it on, you know, the ready-to-eat soup that you just made for lunch. Similarly, omega-3 rich seeds, if you consume a smoothie or oats or overnight oats in the morning, it's so, so easy because you just toss those in there. If you don't consume those things, I really like hemp hearts if they're available to you um, because unlike chia and flax, uh, they are really easy to literally just sprinkle on anything. They don't have a lot of soluble fiber. They don't gel. So again, you can throw it on a salad throw them in a casserole. You can bake them into muffins. Really, really easy to sort of just like sprinkle hemp hearts on. I also love making hemp milk where you literally take just a half a cup of hemp hearts, four cups of water, and then whatever you need to sweeten. Like if you want to throw some dates or some maple syrup, a little pinch of salt, some vanilla in there to sweeten it. It's a great way to get almost like a little multi-mineral supplement, but like in a glass of milk. I love that. And now I'm really hungry. <laughs> um, do you have any other tips or advice for how people can set themselves up for long-term habits that are both healthy physically and mentally? Yeah. So one of the easiest ways, particularly because if we are exploring being without structures for the first time, it can feel a little untethering. And so you might wonder, am I doing it right? And one of the easiest instant check-ins on nutrition is something uh, I don't just call the plate method. It is called the plate method. And that's where when we consume most meals, not every single time, sometimes you just want a big old bowl of pasta, but like most meals, our plate or our recipe, so our cutting board before we cook is 50% fruits or vegetables, a quarter some sort of protein-rich food, whether it's tempeh or lentils or black beans, and then a quarter starchy vegetables such as potatoes or whole grains like quinoa. Uh, when we consume foods in those ratios, we are going to be very well nourished. We're going to feel very full and satisfied. We're also going to eat in a way that helps to keep our blood sugars feeling balanced so that we stay energized. So that's a really lovely and very gentle check-in as you're sort of on this plant-based journey. The other thing to remember is something uh, I say that is pattern over plate. So every once in a while, you might, you know, you might have an ice cream and you have this old voice inside your head that's like, oh, this ice cream wasn't healthy. Maybe I shouldn't have eaten it. Repeat to yourself, pattern over plate. It is the overall pattern of how you eat that matters more for you, that matters more for the planet, that matters more for animals, 
than any one food or meal. And when you really embrace that philosophy, it ensures that you consider this plant-based journey an actual journey. It's not a wagon you're jumping on or off on. It's a journey. Sometimes you're going to have to zigzag. Sometimes it gets a little bumpy, but you just keep going. You need to be really gentle with yourself and know that every time you choose a plant-based meal is a good thing for your body. Every time you make a big salad because your body was just craving something really nutrient-dense, it's a very good thing for your body. It doesn't get erased by drinking a Coca-Cola. That's just not how nutrition works. Gosh, you are such a gift to to this world and to everyone who gets to to hear you share these things. It's so comforting, but also inspiring and motivating in a way that feels really healthy and good. Um, so thank you so, so much. Do you have any last words um, of advice or anything you want to share or just you can share where people can find and connect with you after the show? Yeah, I think the only thing I would love to leave off with is just to for people to remember that eating a plant-based diet is one of the most delicious and joyous things you can do with this body of yours and really embrace and allow yourself the the joy and the pleasure of eating. It is not okay in spite of your healthy lifestyle. It is part of your healthy lifestyle. And I hope that all of the recipes in Plant Magic really help people see just how fun and delicious and like welcoming plant-based eating can be. Amazing. Where can people find you, connect with you, and can you share a few awesome resources that you have that they can look for? For sure. So my new book is coming in just a few months. It's called Plant Magic. It is 100% plant-based, delicious, fun recipes. It's all the things that I like to eat. And you can learn more about it on my website, which includes a ton of free recipes, as well as very, very nerdy and evidence-based blog posts on plant-based nutrition and digestive health nutrition. And that's at DesireeRD.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. We'll make sure to link everything in the show notes and hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. We're so appreciative of all the good work you do in the world. Thank you so much, Tony and Michelle. It's been such a fun conversation. A quick reminder to check out our sponsors of the episode, Melody's Plant-Based Honey at MelodyFoods.com. That's spelled M-E-L-L-O-D-Y foods.com. And Live On Labs at L-I-V-O-N-Labs.com. That was a great conversation with Desiree. I love her upbeat personality. And I had the pleasure of being on her podcast, which is called the All Sorts Podcast. Make sure you check that out for even more great information. She is so lively, so packed with great experience and knowledge in nutrition in general, not just what we talked about today. So uh, we will link that in the show notes for you to visit. You can find all those at plantpoweredpodcast.com. We wish you all the most beautiful day. If you'd like to support the show, by the way, or leave us any notes, you can always head to 
the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Drop some notes for us there. And of course, you can find Tony and I over on Instagram where we're very active on at vegan and at plant based on a budget. Hope you have a beautiful day and we will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.